You're listening to the Inside Study Abroad podcast, episode number 49. Welcome to the Inside Study Abroad podcast. I'm your host, Brooke Roberts. In this show, we explore the world of international education and meaningful travel with some fascinating guests, a little friendly debate, and a whole lot of practical advice. Let's get going. This episode is brought to you by Audible. So recently I've been getting back into running and I used to be a music person, but now I've actually gone on the audiobook wagon and I've started listening to Born a Crime by Trevor Noah. And it's actually read by Trevor, which is really cool because he's got the best accent and voice for listening to an audiobook. Um, if you've never heard of this book, Trevor talks about his life growing up in South Africa during apartheid and basically being born a crime is the title of the book. He was born to a black mom and a white dad, which at the time was a criminal act. And so it's it's a really compelling story. It's touching. It's educational. If you're not familiar with apartheid and the history of South Africa, you'll learn a lot. And it's also hilarious because he's a comedian so he brings a lot of levity and and character to to the story it makes me really excited to go for a run because I know I'm going to get to continue the story in the the book I'm listening to so that's a little awesome bonus for motivation but if you want to listen to this book or any of Audible's thousands of other titles you can get started with Audible for free a 30-day free trial just go to brookroberts.co slash audible and I'll have the links in the show notes as well but but with this 30-day free trial, you're going to get at any audiobook of your choice. So you can listen to Born a Crime or any other book that you're interested in exploring. You're also going to get unlimited access to all of the Audible Originals. Plus, you'll get exclusive 30% discounts on additional premium selections that, that you're interested in. So go check it out. It's completely free to you. brookroberts.co slash audible to get your first book for free. And happy listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Inside Study Abroad podcast. I'm your host, Brooke Roberts, and today I have a very special guest. Today I'm talking with Rondine Petroff, who's the founder of Toucan Education Programs, a Belize-based study abroad education program provider. And we're going to learn about her story and how she thought up Toucan and got involved in our crazy little world of international education and um, a little bit about Belize and the Sojourn Institute that she's launched. So much going on. Rondine, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Brooke. It's such a pleasure to be here with you today. I'm happy to be here and happy to go through this um, podcast with you. It's Looking forward a, to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of, um, I've been to Belize, so I think we're, I'm going to be like sharing some stories with you and, and talking <laughs> up Belize a little bit. Um, I, I, I feel like it's not really a secret because I think especially international educators know obviously about Belize, but I feel like just generally speaking, when people think like mm -hmm. Central America or just Americans going South, they're going to like Mexico um, or Costa Rica. Um, but, but I feel like Belize is a little sleeper, a little sleeper. Not a lot of people are <laughs> um, um, aware of it. So I'm, I'm excited to talk about it and learn more about it from you. Um, but before we get into that, let's talk about your international education story. How did you discover this world as a career path for yourself? Yeah, thank you so much. And it's such a uh, it's such a pleasure to really have this opportunity to share this with your audience. So I started out this journey when I worked for the, a private university in Belize. And um, yeah, so I started out there really at an entry level position and 
and sort of kind of fell into <laughs> kind of fell into opportunities to work with visiting students. And it was so interesting. It took some time, like, you know, uh, my employer really liked the work that I was doing in a particular position. And so they kept hiring people, just kind of kept hiring people to work in the international office, a very tiny one, by the way. And so people didn't last very long. I mean, people are like, ah, you know, I don't want to really do this. And, and so I just kind of kept, kept, kind of kept my eye on it. And what's so interesting, uh, I had the privilege of working with Dr. Sandy Smith, who is now our VP for strategic partnerships. And she was actually uh, working for a really uh, large organization and she was working in a leadership team. And so they were, they came to our university to consider Belize as a destination for their students. And so that's where we met. And so after months and months, I think it was actually probably a year and a half of hiring people and people really not sticking with it. She finally said to me, she came on, she came down on one of her visits and she said, would you, would you be interested in this? I noticed that you always kind of pick up when people leave and you do a really good job. And I said, well, you know, for quite some time, I've been asking for this job, but, you know, my employer just kept saying, you know, they wanted me for other work and, you know, I, I go with the flow. So I said, I would be so thrilled and it would be exactly what I want to do. And so that's how I kind of fell into it. Mm-hmm. And um, and so that started my journey into, okay, what is international education? How do you work with students? Um, how do you send our Belizean students abroad? How do you um, welcome students who are visiting and who are here for a semester, whether or not they're here for a semester, a month, or for two weeks? Mm-hmm. And, and so she invested quite a bit of time in professional development for me. Um, and it just, I mean, it just bit that fire in my belly to, <laughs> to want to do more. And so I really worked with students at the university for a number of years. I also worked closely with her to set up exchange programs. So it was such, it was such a wonderful journey to see our Belizean students going abroad. Yes. And I would work closely with those students to prepare them. And I was also on the receiving end of the uh, visiting students. So I would ensure that they would be registered for classes. And I was also their support. Like I was their 24-7 support. So I really got to see all the different the, all the different aspects of international uh, education, whether or not you're sending your own student, receiving students. And so when I saw that things were changing at the university, I thought to myself, uh, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. And the idea of wanting to serve my country in a meaningful way, I thought to myself, well, this might be the way that I that I contribute to my country through education abroad. And mm-hmm. why not Why not start an organization that really looks at, um, looking at what are the learning needs and, uh, and, and goals for students and kind of mapping that with the needs of community stakeholders. Mm-hmm. And so that's how Toucan started. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and of course, it was difficult to go from being a full time employee to really oh, yeah. starting your own organization. I mean, it's really 
It's like you take a leap of faith, you know, you just have to trust that this will, this will work out. And uh, finally, you know, uh, it took a few months. I think, I think I work continuously working for eight, I think probably about six to eight months. And I said, you know what, this is silly. I can't continue focusing and giving everything I need to give to my, to my employer and to this company. So I need to make that decision. And Mm -hmm. I did. Yeah. I finally resigned and started to can. Yeah, I and just so everyone knows, a little um, sneak peek here, Rondine's also going to be on my other podcast, Brazenest, where I talk to entrepreneurs about their journeys. So we're going to dive deeper yeah. into the entrepreneurial side, the business side of things for sure, uh, because I could relate to so much of what you said. And that, and that, that, that pivotal moment, that inflection point in an entrepreneurial mm-hmm. journey where you've been working on something as kind of a side hustle or like two full-time hustles, you got your full-time job and your, your hustle and your business. And then that, that moment where you, it is kind of that breaking point where like, I got to d- make this decision now, am I going to take yeah. this leap? And so that's a very, very, uh, exciting, but also terrifying moment in the yes. entrepreneurial journey, um, uh, for sure. So we'll be diving into that part of the story on the other podcast. So I'll be sure to share yes. that, um, with y'all when it's, it's goes live next year, but so talk to me about Toucan. So Toucan Education Programs mm-hmm. is your company. Uh, it's studyinbelize.com, I want to say. Oh, yes. Yeah. So um, yeah, so if anybody's looking for it, she like has the perfect domain name ever. So study in Belize <laughs> um, and Toucan Education Programs. So talk to a little bit about the programs you were you started initially and how that has evolved to what you're offering today. What does it look like? Yeah. Yeah, excellent, excellent question. Uh, so certainly, you know, those first after you start your organization, uh, we did a time just looking at foundation, you know, what's going to be the foundation of this organization? So mission, vision, what will our programs look like and what will really distinguish us mm-hmm. as an organization from everyone else? Uh, and being locally based, you know, I wasn't sure. Um, what would be the edge? I had some ideas. Yes, we're local. I'm really steeped in Belizean history, culture, and I understand uh, the needs of my community. But how do you how do you really um, amplify that when you're having discussions with people? Mm-hmm. And so we, um, I had a, a very good. I've always been uh, fortunate to have really good friends internationally, even though I've not done uh, that much travel and so I had uh, this British professor who was retiring and we've, we're very good friends and you know we would sit down and we, we really outlined the foundation of Toucan and looked at developing um, smart goals, an action plan and then we also looked at what will distinguish us from all the other organizations. We really wanted to ensure that students are getting um, this rich learning experience and that we're using um, all of the elements of Belize that makes it a meaningful destination for students to pursue education abroad. Um, And how do we take that learning experience and help them match it with, with skills? Since she was from the UK, uh, they actually weave in this uh, looking at, at that time, I think it was eight skill sets and how do you ensure that students have demonstrated these skill sets. So we really came up with a a curriculum that served that purpose and she helped 
guide me because I'm more of the entrepreneur. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a, f- a formal educator. I'm not a professor or I, I don't mm-hmm. come with those skill sets, but I come with the, the business mindset. And so I was, it was such a blessing to have her work alongside with me to kind of mop those things out. And then, of course, uh, uh, Sandy was always there. You know, I would run my ideas by her and just having um, a group of people that you can that you can that can mentor you and guide you in those things. So we first looked at faculty led program was certainly something I was very familiar with. And then um, my colleagues said, well, why not look at. Uh, volunteering for students so we kind of looked at that and uh, and and then we looked at internships so those were the two things we started and I think we or we uh, hosted our first intern back in uh, 2012 but of course things have evolved we we've evolved where we at one time we were serving um, not only student volunteers but we looked at serving professional volunteers and then you know, we decided uh, when we did our strategic plan for five years, we decided, you know what, we really started this organization to support student learning in education abroad. And so let's let's go back to our roots um, and really, truly focus on that and see how we can do that even better. Mm-hmm. And so now we offer uh, faculty led programs really designed around what their learning goals are. But then we have about five um, different programs from service learning to internships um, to different programs where students can come for about 21 to 28 days in country and get uh, a really rich learning experience. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's right. what we did. Yeah. So your, what was your first program? Like, do you remember that first time? Uh, was it a group? What you said that you had an intern, but was there a faculty led program even before that? Were, how how did that go down? How was that first one? <laughs> that was interesting. Our very first program was a faculty-led program. And what was interesting, I was still working. So I, you know, I needed to be transparent with, with my employer. What was so interesting is that this faculty-led program came to the university. And at the time, management said, we don't really want to deal with that, which mm-hmm. I just couldn't understand. And I said, are you sure? <laughs> and I said to my employer, I said, well, this is a wonderful opportunity for me to segue into the fact that I'm starting my own organization. And if you don't want to do it, I would like your permission mm-hmm. if I can, if I can facilitate this. Yeah. And they said, yes, we would love for you to go ahead with it. <laughs> so That's amazing because not every employer, so those <laughs> yes. listening, that's not always how it goes down. So be careful. Yeah. You do need to be transparent, but also know that they may not be on board with you working on a side yes. hustle, uh, especially in the same you know, arena of the same um, Mm -hmm. industry. So that that's really exciting. Um, And was it, do you mind sharing, like, what was the school that you worked with? Yes, it was Fairleigh Dickinson University. And we've worked with them several other times. Yeah. Um, They do have a a global, uh, a global education uh, program that they run to different countries with their Mm -hmm. students. Mm -hmm. And so it was interesting. I mean, the faculty institution, and then from there, yeah, I, I think um, I, I commend them because I feel like there's a lot of institutions out there who um, don't always have the, I don't know, the confidence maybe or the, the 
you know, comfort of risk and maybe in some instances to take a leap with a new organization and say, yes, yes. we are going to put this program in your hands to help us facilitate this on the ground. Um, and cause a lot of organizations, that's the hardest part of getting started in our, in our field and in our industries, because if they don't have the, you know, the experience, right. It's that chicken and the egg problem on, on almost everything of life is like, well, if I don't have testimonials and reviews and, um, peers that they could go to and say, Hey, how, how was the program with Toucan? It's harder to get some institutions on board. Um, and you always need that first early adopter to be like, we believe in you. We're, we're yes. going to take a chance with this. And so commend to them for, um, yes. uh, taking a risk and, and believing in you and, and working with you these years. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit um, and talk about something newer that you've um, launched and with Sandy Smith as well. Um, and that's kind of how we got, con we've gotten connected in many ways. I think you guys have had an intern with us uh, for GPI, I want to say. Um, and then um, uh, this new initiative, the Sojourn Learning Institute. And why don't you tell us a little bit about what that is and why you decided to branch out in this new direction? Yes, thank you. Uh, yes, the Sojourn Learning Institute was really uh, the brainchild of um, Sandy, Dr. Sandy Smith, as mm -hmm. she is just such a uh, expert in intercultural learning and higher education administration. It's uh, her sweet spot, and she just is very passionate about about uh, professional development for her colleagues and and being part of that. And so this all came about out of the pandemic. You know, our, our industry was one of the hardest hit because mm -hmm. of course, uh, once students were not able to travel and countries shut down and uh, borders closed and all that, um, we started to think, okay, we've lost most of our programs for 2020. How else can we serve our community? And uh, for certain, most of our programs, we that we still run today are faculty-led programs. Mm -hmm. And so we've, um, over the last uh, 10, almost 11 years, we've worked with faculty. And we know that more and more students are deciding to study abroad with faculty. And what are the implications of that? Because faculty are, are indeed experts in their, in their discipline and field. And so to have this extra this extra uh, requirement of having intercultural learning outcome as one of the education abroad um, goals for students, we did not see where uh, faculty were being uh, served in professional development in that way. And we felt that we can certainly make an impact in improving uh, the work that they do because many of them do an excellent job of this but how can we improve for the, for the people who are doing a really good job? And how can we support those who this is totally out of the, I mean, they really feel uncomfortable about facilitating this. And so hence we felt, okay, this is something we can deliver uh, remotely. We don't need to have in-person and it actually will work better. We can reach more people that way. And, and so that's how it all came about. We were looking for something else that we can do that, that serves a purpose. That's awesome. Yeah. I love it when I see international education organizations like embracing online <laughs> education because that's what I've been doing since I started Inside yes. Study Abroad. And um, now like it's like just normal. You know, I remember people would email me and be like, but how do you, how are you doing it? And I'm like, it's actually yes. pretty simple <laughs> yeah. um, to, to make it happen now. You know, obviously 
presenting a, a value add and making sure that you're mm-hmm. actually offering something that people really want and need. That's a whole other uh, workshop. <laughs> but um, yeah, the actual facilitating the online experience and yes. um, creating the opportunity is actually is quite, quite easy. Um, mm-hmm. So I know you guys are running um, a faculty focused training. Um, was there a specific instance or um, conversation that you had with a faculty member where you thought, wow, this is, this is the specific training we need to offer um, in terms of intercultural um, facilitation for faculty to utilize on their programs? Mm-hmm. Yes, we've had several uh, conversations with faculty, especially since uh, Sandy joined us. And as we're developing faculty-led programs, I mean, that's one of the questions she would ask. Uh, Well, how do you plan on facilitating the intercultural learning piece for Mm -hmm. your students? And we we could certainly see that there was a need for this professional development. And so we decided that, um, yes, giving the data as well, when we look at the thousands and thousands of students, I think out of the 400,000 plus students, according to Open Doors report, there was a large percentage, I think 63% or something like that, that went uh, of students that studied abroad with faculty. And many of them, it was the first time. Mm -hmm. Um, And we do find um, sometimes this myth that maybe certain certain disciplines don't require intercultural learning. Mm. I remember one faculty said, you know, we're, we're in STEM. So that, that doesn't, that doesn't really matter. <laughs> that doesn't really matter for our students. Yeah. And, and we were blown away. It was, it was clear evidence that faculty, yes, they are expert in their area, but not everyone understands that there is equal importance for students to study abroad and also have walk yeah. away with intercultural um, learning yeah. in, a, in an intentional way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, and Sandy also looked at research, uh, several research where um, they were finding that, yes, these students are going abroad, more students are going abroad with faculty, but the students are not meeting the intended, intended learning outcomes, mm. which includes intercultural learning. And, and, and we said to ourselves, well, this is our opportunity. You have the expertise in house. <laughs> You're passionate about um, facilitating training. This is our opportunity mm-hmm. to, to serve. Yeah. And I think yeah. too, like coming back to that faculty member who said, well, it's STEM. This isn't a, you know, mm-hmm. a key driver here for, for us. I, I also, I think that that brings about like great opportunities to just do some intercultural, in, informal intercultural uh, mm-hmm. training with anyone, yes. whether it's faculty, other administrators, et cetera. Yes. Because I think, you know, I just think like, well, what, what happens when that biochem major is doing their post-doc, you know, or post-grad research in a lab somewhere. And now they're in a lab with with graduate students from all over the world. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, they're running into these sort of intercultural confusion. um, And it's not just about the science. It is about like, well, wait a minute, why you know, there's other elements to that experience. It's going to go beyond just the data. Um, And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, 
even asking faculty, be like, well, haven't you had opportunities in your career to interact with other people from other cultures? And, and was that easy the first time? <laughs> so, yes. uh, so maybe let's, let's bring it back home a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. so I think that's great. I think it's really exciting. I think a lot of people are doing more of this work. I think, yes. um, as professionals, you know, just mm-hmm. administrators and facilitators of the experiences, we need more of that. Um, and I think this is the opportunity for international education to kind of flex our actual value. Um, because Mm -hmm. I think even maybe pre-pandemic in a lot of ways, while we, I think on the surface, we're like, yes, we want intercultural learning. But at the end of the day, we kind of got to rest in our laurels a little bit about like, well, we're Mm -hmm. sending all these students abroad, generation study abroad, like all the, it was all about uh, quantitative numbers. Like how many can we get to go? And I think now we've had to sort of go, okay, what is the value we're actually adding Mm -hmm. that goes beyond just like, booking a few rooms, you know, mm-hmm. booking some transportation, making sure there's classes, um, yeah. and, and not just like basically higher level, uh, tour guides or, um, travel agents. And Absolutely. I think this is, this is our moment to be like, we can help facilitate and make this yes. a structured and guided and mm-hmm. meaningful, um, outcome that we can actually measure. Um, and it, I, smarter people than I are working on this and, and making sure these things are happening, but I, I'm really excited for this, this, this development. Um, I'd love to shift gears a little bit and talk, uh, um, about the sort of state of study abroad in Belize. So for anybody who maybe has never sent a student abroad to, to study abroad in Belize or hasn't ever even thought about it as a destination for a faculty-led program, what is the infrastructure right now? If somebody wanted to go for a semester-long program, are university prepared to you know, bring these students in for that period of time? Um, it, are the numbers growing? Like, give us a snapshot of, of what the state mm-hmm. of affairs in study abroad in Belize or international education in Belize. Education, yeah. Because I'd also well, love to know too about um, if you have, if you happen to know anecdotally, like what is the activity around sending Belizean students abroad? Because I think that's also really fascinating. Yes, thank you so much. Yes, uh, the the state of study abroad right now, um, of course, you know, there's not that many students coming, but I was so surprised. Like we made a decision earlier on um, not to, um, not to host students because we, there were, there were still so many uncertainties and we certainly wanted to uh, allow everyone time to feel a little bit more comfortable traveling. It was a, it was a difficult uh, decision to make, but we just felt like it was the right one to make. However, we do see us, faculty-led programs being run, but not at the level, Mm -hmm. um, not at the level that it was before. Mm -hmm. And so we're gearing up for next year. But for Belize, it's, uh, what's what's great about Belize, and we actually have a workshop that we're hosting this afternoon to talk to people who are curious about Belize. Mm. It's, um, it's first of all, it's a developing country. Uh, second of all, it's, um, it's a small country. So because of its scale, it's very easy for people to have more than one experience and the diversity, uh, the ecological, uh, the social, the cultural diversity of people, um, and places and landscapes is, is so fascinating. So, uh, and it's, it's fairly a safe developing country. Um, so it's it it holds a host of opportunities, learning opportunities, for students to directly interact with the people and cultures of Belize, and um, and the people are welcoming. 
Uh, people are open to that. Uh, people are friendly because, of course, Belize has made tourism uh, one of its economic pillars. So people are used to interacting with people who are are, are not from here. But um, certainly for Belizean students studying at universities, uh, we only have a national university and one private university. But we do have a number of community colleges. And yeah, so many colleges. Yes. Yeah. I'm a big supporter of community colleges. Yes. So many, many students, uh, many of those institutions do have exchange programs, whether or not it's with US institutions, Canadian institutions. Uh, when I worked at the private university here in Belize, all of our, uh, most of our uh, exchange programs were with Canadian institutions. And okay. then we had some with US. But for Belizean uh, students, the country uh, does have this thirst for wanting our students to go out and have these experiences because we see the value of how transformative it is for them to go to, you know, a first world or a developed country uh, institution and get that experience and then bring that home. We're a young country. I mean, we, we, we just recently turned 40 years yeah, as an independent very nation. Young. Yeah. Very young. So you can imagine a young country with a population of only about 400,000 people, there are lots of needs as we grow and evolve as a country. And so for our Belizean students to have those experiences is so important. And for them to return home, to be able to apply their experiences that they've learned abroad. Uh, and for the visiting students, it's equally, uh, it's equally, um, informative and rich for them because Belize is kind of the anomaly out there. We're, we're the only English speaking country in Central America, yet we have a rich diversity of languages. Right. Spanish is our second language. There are three distinct Maya languages. There's um, the Garifuna people languages, and then there's Creole languages. So, and then of course there are people who uh, were a country of immigrants. So we've got people um, who speak Mandarin. We've got people who um, are from India and they speak their own language. And so there are all of this going on. And um, so if you want to get a taste of El Salvador, you can get it here. If you want to get a taste of Guatemala, you can get it here. It is just such a rich learning lab for students mm -hmm. and for educators, no matter what background. Um, they're coming from. So yeah, so, we're so always excited to share that about Belize. I have a little like edgy, like Belize 101 questions. And I apologize yes. for the audience if you already know these things, but I am uh, a novice here. Um, but so how does the educational system work in, in Belize? So you said one public, one or national university, one private university. Um, what is the cost of going to the national university or the private university? Because, um, you know, education in the United States is a racket. And so it's very expensive. <laughs> um, and so I'm just curious um, what that, what's, what's the lay of the land there for yeah. a Belizean student? Cause I find it interesting that you said mm -hmm. that there's a lot of exchanges with Canada, which may make more sense if the cost is more on par um, yeah. versus the United States. We're coming here for a semester mm -hmm. might be what it costs to live in Belize for like 10 years. So I don't know. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's a really good question. And, and many of the exchange programs came with financial packages mm. because it's the only way the Belizean students would be able to afford it. Mm -hmm. um, but say, for example, community college, which we have for two, two years, um, schools, 
an academic credit at a community college uh, costs may be equivalent to say maybe uh, 45 US dollars per credit hour. Okay. And, and is then, it in Belize, is that expensive or is that affordable? <laughs> For many people that is still, yeah, that, that would still be considered um, expensive. Okay. But still, I mean, com- compared to if you want to go to a private, the private institution, uh, the academic credit, I believe when I worked there was about 450 US dollars per per credit hour. Wow. Uh, of course, that's that came down, and of course, there is now financial institution because you have to um, you have to think well from a cultural perspective. The idea of going into debt for education is simply not something that people embrace here. Uh-huh. Belize is a community of people who don't like debt. Yeah. <laughs> they want to own everything. <laughs> they want to own everything. Need to learn. Oh my goodness. Oh, <laughs> and, yes. And so. People always say, well, how come you see, you know, things sticking out, things, homes unfinished? I said, for many people, they don't want to have a debt hanging over their heads. They don't want to go in and get a mortgage and have that perfect home. Uh So they build it a little bit at a time. Yeah. Um, The concept of debt, you know, as country evolve and develop is is much more acceptable now Mm -hmm. um, than, than before. So now they're actually... Uh, development bank, we do have a development banking country that is looking at student loans, offering student loans, and families still are like, we're not putting up our house. (laughs) We don't want to lose our home over you getting educated. So, you know, it's those kind of things that that people balance here as a developing country and and based on their cultural values, um, those decisions are made for families who are well off, because of course, every country do have uh, a group of people who are middle class, upper middle class, right. and who are wealthy, for the wealthy people will send their, their kids abroad for education. That's no question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They'll send them to the United States, the UK, mm-hmm. Canada. But for the rest of the population, they're looking at, okay, how can I get scholarships? And many organizations offer scholarships. We offer uh, a part of our income going to scholarship for high school kids, because even high school children need to pay for their education. Oh, uh, it might be small, but for many families, it's still not something that they can reach. Mm-hmm. So there are so many ways that institutions in the United States can support and, and uh, education in Belize. And as a matter of fact, through Fulbright, universities and uh, even community college, if they want to work with a national university or if they want to work with a private university, there are ways they can they can try to fund that through Fulbright because Belize is back on the Fulbright list and uh, those benefit goes directly to those institutions. And mm-hmm. we love talking about that because anything that will uh, continue to build and equip our institutions locally, we're all for that. That's fantastic. That's great. Mm-hmm. So um, kind of diving deeper into this Belize uh, segment, if you will, <laughs> um, I asked, I, I sent her questions ahead of time. So she, I'm not dropping her this on you, <laughs> uh, but um, I would love for you to share maybe a couple of myths that you think maybe, especially um, educators in the U.S. or outside of Belize, obviously, um, might believe about the study abroad experience in Belize or the the culture society Mm -hmm. of Belize that you'd like to set the record straight? Yes, (laughs) that's a really good good, uh, question for us to to talk about. So one myth that we certainly want to dispel today is that 
Belize is only a good fit for programs that are in ecology or marine science. Right. Uh, Belize is more than that. We're not just, you know, forest and, and, and the ocean. Mm-hmm. So it's more than that. There are so many things that uh, educators can get out of Belize, regardless of the academic discipline or the backgrounds or the career uh, goals that students are trying to meet. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing we wanted to dispel today. Another thing we wanted to dispel today is the fact that because of the way the United States um, categorize groups of people, you know, Black, white, Latinx, and those types. And so for, for quite often for people who are looking at African diaspora programs, will think that there is only one group of people in Belize with African ancestry. And that's not true. Okay. (laughs) So they often only say, uh, if someone is looking at developing an African diaspora program with us, they'll say, uh, we're very interested in African diaspora and we would love to include the Garifuna people. And I have to say, wait, if you truly want to do African diaspora in Belize, there are two groups of people. with African uh, heritage and actually uh, Creole people, uh, their ancestors came here as enslaved people. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And the journey of the Garifuna uh, people, although enslaved, was very different. So if you want to really get the full uh, African diaspora, you you must include both groups of people. And and so oftentimes that comes from looking at skin color which is not something we use in Belize at all. We, we use culture. So, you know, they look, but they're dark. So mm-hmm. they must be. And I'm like, well, actually the Garifuna people have, they're, they're seen as indigenous people because of their Amerindian roots and not only their African roots, but they have Amerindian roots and they have Caribbean roots and, and, and this mix so they're not only um, African uh, descent. They're, they have all these things that make mm-hmm. the Garifuna people. Mm-hmm. They speak a language, but that uh, language is not specifically a, a, uh, an African dialect. Um, so, but re- learning from both groups, and not only that, we want when you come that you also hear about the Maya and you also hear about the Mestiz and you also learn about these cultures because... Belize have all these different cultures, including Mennonite, people who speak, you know, low germ. I mean, we have all these people and we're able to coexist in this Mm -hmm. country. So it's a beautiful kaleidoscope of cultures and people living and having this human experience. And so you get this opportunity to, Mm -hmm. to learn about them. Yeah. Well, when I what I think would be super fascinating as a total nerd who would love to go on this program, but I I feel like it would be interesting to also see the interplay of those mm-hmm. cultures and how from a economic, political, mm-hmm. societal stance like how how different groups of people treat each other, how they are treated mm-hmm. by the government because obviously in the United States we have a lot of issues with this. Um mm-hmm. and it, in some instances it is uh very challenging to coexist. Yes. Um, and for a lot of reasons, historical, systemic, mm-hmm. um, all yes. the things. I don't have to break it down for the audience. But mm-hmm. you know, so I think it, it's I think there's so much the United States um can learn from places that do have this 
this true melting pot of cultures mm-hmm. that maybe are a little more successful in some areas of actually yes. um, thriving together um, mm-hmm. and learning from each other and appreciating each other. So that's very inspiring. And I hope there's some people out there listening going, ooh, we might need a, a Belize yes. program now to, to get this. And what I also love about it, I think too, from a, um, you know, I always think like, how do we make more programs more accessible to more students? Mm-hmm. Obviously that's the going back to the quantitative value again, but Correct. I think about students who want to have a deep, rich, mm-hmm. you know, strange culture, like something culture that's Immersive, far from yeah. my, on my own. Um, it, it almost seems like we have to go so far away and that can be the limiting factor. If you have to go on a faculty led program that costs $3,000, but the ticket to get there is also too grand or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. the plane ticket might be. I think, you know, Central America, um, and these, these countries that may are not on the top list of destinations for study abroad, I think yes. are a wonderful opportunity to equal the playing field to give more students a very rich intercultural mm-hmm. experience, um, and not have to also break the bank on all the auxiliary expenses that come with Correct. it. So, um, and that, I mean, at USD, um, university of South Dakota, when I was there, we did a faculty led, I was the faculty, me and a colleague, but uh, a faculty led program to Belize um, with students. And it was like a service learning for credit mm-hmm. program. Um, and we did, we were focused more on um, the economy and social issues of, nice. of the country. But um, we chose that destination purely because we're like, this is going to be a really interesting experience, but mm-hmm. also it's super accessible. Um, yes. And our students could actually have for the ticket to get there. And I thought mm-hmm. that was, that was really, um, it, it blew up our numbers, frankly, when we were like thinking about destinations, um, originally we were thinking some places in Southeast Asia. Um, but then once we said, okay, actually we're going to Belize and the ticket, I think was like $300 us, um, to get there round trip. Um, even more students were like, yes, students, I'm in. And yeah. so we were, we were able to take like 25 students, um, mm-hmm. on the program, which was amazing. Great experience. I'm still, I still connected with a lot of those students. They still, like to make fun of me. Cause there was, I don't know. I'd probably <laughs> told this joke on the podcast before. I think I told you this at another meeting we had. Um, but this is, has nothing to do with Belize, by the way, this is totally, right now. <laughs> but I, I was happened to be in Belize and we were visiting one of the Mayan sites mm-hmm. and, um, getting a tour, uh, from one of our local, um, uh, contacts on the ground. And, uh, we were walking around all of a sudden you just heard this like loud animal far off in the distance. And it was so loud. And we're like, what mm-hmm. is that? And, um, the, the guide said, Oh, those are howler monkeys. Oh, and they're yes. probably like a hundred miles away or some ridiculous amount mm-hmm. of distance. And, um, he said they're the second loudest mammal in the world. And <laughs> we're walking around with all these students who I've worked with a lot throughout the semester prepping for this program. And so they know me quite well. And uh, I asked because I'm a nerd and I love to know all the details. I said, oh, what's the loudest mammal? If this is the second loudest, what's the loudest? And all the students in unison go, Brooke, (laughs) like I was the loudest mammal. So there you go. Uh, That's my... they make fun of me about yeah. me being louder than Belizean howler monkeys. So uh, <laughs> yes. that's my, that's my claim to fame about Belize. That's it. Um, well, I think that's a good segue going into our lightning round. It's sort of a new segment I'm trying to bring to the podcast. Sweet. So um, just off the top of your head, best ex- 
you know, we can do it as fast as we can, but it's not, Mm -hmm. it's not time. So it's fine. Uh, So book every international educator should read. (laughs) Well, I decided to go with psychocybernetics because I think it's, um, I'm really into human development. And I believe if we're developing students, this book holds a lot of um, tools and information on how to really build a self-image of, of, of people. And, and so it's something that I study in my mastermind group. And um, it's not something for education abroad typically, but I yeah, believe yeah. that it could, it could really support students if we can adopt some of the, um, some of the tools that they're that they it's called psycho-cybernetics. Psycho, yeah, psycho-cybernetics okay, by great. Dr. Uh, Maxwell Maltz. You want the, the updated and expanded version. Okay, I will link to that. <laughs> All of everything she says, I will link to in the show notes. Um, a local dish everyone must try in Belize. <laughs> I hope that you tried this when you were here, uh, Brooke. It's rice and beans with Belizean stewed chicken, potato salad, and fried plantains. And yes. I live, so we all, I, I designed the program. So we stayed with host families. We were there for two weeks and, um, I'm, I had a variation of that. I'm sure because we were just (laughs) eating with the family every, every day. Mm -hmm. So, um, yes, that sounds delicious right now. I'm actually quite hungry. Uh, favorite, (laughs) uh, favorite software or technology that helps you do what you do. Uh, we use Asana a lot, especially since we work remotely. I work in Belize, um, Dr. Sandy works in the United States. Um, and so, and especially with the pandemics. So, mm-hmm. but we wanted to always have, we've always used tools to guide all of our projects and yeah. um, facilitate our meetings and things like that. And, and that's the tool we use. We love I love it. it. Love Asana. Mm-hmm. I also use it in my business. Um, what's on your travel bucket list next? It could be a destination <laughs> or just an experience you'd like to have. Yeah, I would all I, I've always wanted to go to the UK. I do have family there. I do have friends, but I've never crossed the Atlantic. And so I it's on my bucket list. I want but to we cross the Atlantic that happen. and go We there. get a little um, ex- <laughs> professional exchange going on or something where you can go yes. check out a study abroad company operating in the UK. They can come. Yes learn about Belize with you. I think that'd be great. Um, so if you're out there listening, make that happen and connect with Rondine. Yes. And then last question, <laughs> um, everything you know now, uh, based on that information, if you could study abroad, where would you go and why? Okay. And it can't be cert- Belize. <laughs> yes. I would certainly want to go to India. Um, not only because we do have people here in Belize, which we tend to not talk about a lot uh, when we look at cultures, but we do have people from India who came many, many years ago as indentured servants, and um, they're part of the Belizean culture landscape. But we also have recently uh, moved um, Indian families who keep coming to Belize as one of the destinations that they come to. But another reason why is because I love practicing yoga, I love meditation, and I would love to go to this, this mystical place that's how it comes across to me as India being this mystical place, this, this melting pot of these wonderful people and this, this practice of yoga and, and meditation that helps to keep us grounded. Mm -hmm. So India would be my place I'd want to go. That's great. I, I, I have been to India and it is a mystical, but also 
amazingly overwhelming, mm-hmm. beautiful, chaotic, awesome yes. thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, really lovely. So if you're in India, you got a program that Rondine could come, maybe yes. you guys could do a, a professional swap there too. Yeah. Um, awesome. So thank you, Rondine, so much for being on the podcast, sharing a little bit about your story and your company and, and Belize with all of the listeners. If anybody wants to connect with you personally, where can they find you? LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Uh, Absolutely. Great. Well, I will, I will link to your LinkedIn profile as well as all the organizations and all the other, um, uh, items that we talked about today. I'll link to all of those in the show notes. You can just go to insidestudyabroad.com slash blog. You'll be able to find the episode there. Thank you again, Rondine. It was really great to chat with you. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much. You too. Very grateful. Um, thank you. Thank you, Rondine, for coming on the podcast. And thank you to you. If you're still listening at the tail end of this episode, I really appreciate all of your support. Uh, Downloading these episodes and listening to this podcast, it really does mean a lot to me. And all of your support for Insight Study Abroad and this show is just is just amazing. If you want to get access to Audible and that 30-day free trial, don't forget, go to brookroberts.co slash audible, and you'll be able to download your first title for free, and you'll be able to start listening right away. And that does help support the show. So anything that you can do, uh, especially to get a free book plus support me, is just icing on the cake. So thank you all for listening, and have a wonderful, wonderful week. (laughs) 